1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Fat Mascara. I'm Jess. Hi, Jess. I'm Jen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our beauty podcast. Listen, today is an interview day, and I am pumped for this one. Okay, I haven't listened to this one yet. Jen interviewed a founder, and maybe if you listen to our show a lot, you know that we don't typically have a lot of brand founders on the show, but th- this founder really piqued our interest. She has a hair care line, but it was founded on really an interesting principle. It was about avoiding problems.
0: Yes. Well, she's a derm.
1: She's a dermatologist, but she founded a hairline because she saw hair products cause problems with your skin. Right. And then it got us to thinking like, what other problems could be caused by just yes. products we use like on the reg? So I know, and I was like, we need to
0: do a whole podcast on the weird side effects of beauty products you didn't know. And I was like, where do we find a dermatologist? And I was like, oh yeah, the lady who founded the line yeah. basically on this. That's who we should talk to.
1: We should probably get to who she is, yeah? Yeah, so some, yeah, sometimes these things come up really organically. And that's just one of the really special things that um, happen as Jen and I kind of go about our... Our jobs. And our making of a podcast for you.
0: So we have Dr. Iris Rubin is who the interview is with. She's a dermatologist and got her undergrad degree from Stanford and then her medical degree from Harvard, NBD. No big. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> she did her dermatology residency at the University of Chicago and Harvard Medical School. And then she completed a laser surgery fellowship at Mass General Hospital. She also served as the medical director of the Dermatologic and Vascular Laser Surgery Program at Children's National Medical Center in Washington. We actually talk about that before we get into the whole show and about what the work she did with children. It's fascinating. In 2018, she launched Scene Hair Care. Is that the first time I said the name of the brand? This is why it's like clearly we don't have brand founders on a lot like because it's not just about the brand, but that happens to be the name of her brand, Scene Hair Care. And now why would a laser surgeon create a hair brand? That'll all make sense once you hear this interview. And like Jess said, we also talk about other weird side effects from beauty products that you might not realize. We also get into the whole silicone debate. Why don't people include silicone in hair products? What's going on there? Dr. Rubin has some theories. And I feel like if you have body acne or you have surprising acne you can't find a cause of, you are definitely going to want to listen to this because I think you're going to find some help. So I hope you enjoy the interview. And here's Dr. Rubin. Hey, Dr. Rubin, welcome to Fat Mascara. So, just a little background. I know we met maybe five or six years ago when you launched your line scene. And I remember you telling me you worked with children. So before we get into the whole theme of our podcast and everything we're gonna talk about, can you share with me how you got into dermatology and and like why how you focused your career before you started this company?
2: Yeah, I love it. And actually, I think it was about three years ago because Scene's third birthday just came up. But um, I know, time, time. I feel like post-COVID, time just has an entirely different dimension. I don't know if you're experiencing
0: The pandemic (laughs) felt like six years, what can I say? Right,
2: exactly, exactly. But yeah, so I actually never in a million years thought I'd be a dermatologist. I knew I wanted to be a doctor from an early age. I just never liked to see anyone suffering and actually thought I'd become a surgeon. Uh, My best friend from medical school... Is a transplant surgeon. She's a total badass. But I discovered quickly that I needed to sleep, and that was not compatible with surgery. So, interestingly, I actually found my way to being um, a pediatric laser surgeon, which is a, a specialty, highly specialized part of dermatology. But for me, I realized dermatology was just so much more than I than I thought it was initially. I'm very visual and it's just, you know, anytime someone has a skin issue, it's just so much more than the skin. It it can affect you emotionally, your sense of well being and I, I discovered in medical school that there's just such a broad array of skin issues beyond, you know, what, what I knew initially. So I kind of stumbled upon it, actually started in internal medicine, but, uh, you know, love the visual aspect and love being able to fix things. And I think in dermatology, you often can fix things.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the emotional aspect. I imagine if you were doing pediatric laser surgery, we're talking about like birthmarks that you'd be removing and maybe even burns and things like that. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So I actually did a laser and cosmetic fellowship at Harvard, but I'm like one of the rare people that took that And instead of treating wrinkles. I, I, you know, it's a terrible saying, but I like to say the only wrinkles I care about are my own. I I spent most of my career treating babies and kids with disfiguring birthmarks. So I specialized in vascular birthmarks, port wine Port Weinstein's um, especially, and then also built up at Children's National, a uh, program for for scars, for burn scars within the Department of Surgery. And, you know, it was really, really amazing. And actually, our give back mission at SCENE is to support laser clinics in the developing world that treat kids with disfiguring birthmarks and scars.
0: That's beautiful. And I mean, I know some of them were babies, but were there ever kids that were old enough that like, you know, you could see the emotional change in them after they had a surgery? Oh.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it was it was really powerful and I mean it was actually really hard to leave and, and do scene, but I have three kids of my own and you know, anyone who, you know, I think to the outside I might have appeared like superwoman, but superwoman does not exist. So like having three kids, being in the operating room, launching a product line, you know, it's just not compatible, at least for me, with sanity.
0: <laughs> yeah. You were still working yeah. like as a practicing dermatologist when you launched it, right?
2: Well, so when I was developing Scene, I was working at Children's. And yeah, when I, I launched the company in 2014, we actually went to market in 2018. Um, but when I first started the company, I was a practicing dermatologist oh, yeah, yeah. at Children's. And, you know, I just had to pick. And I actually believe so much in the mission of Scene. And I I love to be creative. I think that's why I also picked uh, pediatric laser surgery, because it's um, th- there's a lot of art to it. So, you know, made the decision to, to launch Scene.
0: Yeah, so the, obviously we're going to talk about your company, but before we we talk about this, I wanted to ask you about just as your experience as a dermatologist working with patients, like was it common for you to see medical issues or even just cosmetic issues or side effects caused by? beauty and consumer products. Obviously, when you're doing laser surgery, there's often like a genetic component and a birth, you know, component to that. Yeah. But I'm talking about, you know, just in the everyday practice.
2: Yeah, you know, to be honest, I think that it is really common. I'm not sure I fully recognized it until after I launched Scene. I mean, I did practice general dermatology, but I don't think I fully realized, you know, the impact that, you know, products are can be really beneficial, but they also can contribute to skin issues from acne or eczema, you know, being the most common.
0: Yeah.
2: So I think I was more aware of it in eczema because, you know, for example, uh, a lot of people get hand eczema. And so we know there's so many allergens and irritants that contribute to that. But the impact I'd say of products on acne, I, I, I was not nearly as aware of as I am today.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, we'll get into this, but I know I I asked you to do a little homework about how it's not just acne and we'll get into that, but let's talk about, so we're like mentioning scene, but we're not. I did, I did is.
2: my homework. I'm a really good student. Look, <laughs> I did I my love homework. It. I, love it. I, I love though your questions really like this is fun for me because you know, no, we get.
0: and I, as we told people <laughs> in the intro, the reason that we were doing this entire interview focused on this, but we'll get into that before we do. So you can create this line scene. It's a skin caring shampoo and conditioner and other products. So you must, Have been seeing these issues with not just like with skincare products or like laundry products or things, but with like hair products, right? What were the issues that you were able to connect to people's hair products?
2: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it was really personal initially. I was in my 30s, and every time I'd go get my hair done at the salon, my hair would look great. But then I would break out actually about five or six days later. And this was a pattern. And so then I said, okay, let me stop using styling products. and Let's just see if I use shampoo and conditioner if this happens. And it kept happening. And so then I t- started talking to my friends and said, hey, have you ever gotten acne? You know, my dermatology colleagues from, from hair care products and, and Googling it. But it was not something, you know, I did my tra- a lot of my training at Harvard at really great institutions. It wasn't something that we were really taught, which was that hair products can contribute to acne. And, you know, for me, it was such a big impact because, I say it takes one pimple to ruin your day. Like if we are, we were talking now and I had a pimple, I'd be like, you know, just like, nah, yeah. don't look. And the whole idea that that we can be investing so much in skincare, you know, people going on antibiotics. My my son actually right now is on Accutane. I mean, acne can can be quite devastating and requires systemic medications. And the whole idea that people could be bathing with their hair products in comedogenic ingredients that are exacerbating acne and not realizing it to me was kind of like this epiphany. So we actually did a study to figure out, okay, why is this happening? And how common is this? But, you know, I wish I was smart enough to say I was recognizing this when I was in private practice treating acne, but it really wasn't until this personal experience. And I I don't think that dermatologists always recognize the link between hair care and acne.
0: Yeah. So you said you did this study. So why was, why were some hair products causing acne?
2: Yeah, so I, it was so cool to, to to figure out why. And the reason is because hair products are actually skincare products. And what I mean by that is anytime you use a product, it can leave a residue on your skin for hours. So what we did is we took the top-selling shampoo, conditioner, and styling product and looked after you use shampoo and conditioner. We looked at the scalp, the forehead, the, the back and the cheeks. Hours later, we did tape stripping and there was residue from the shampoo and conditioner and residue from the styling product. So hours after you shampoo and conditioner, you rinse and forget about it, but your skin doesn't. It can actually stay on your skin for hours. And actually, you asked me about some other interesting, you know, um, and I know this isn't just about hair care. You asked me about laundry detergent. And as I was doing my research, you know, that's also about residue.
0: Yeah, these are how those products work. They're designed to stick to the clothing to make it exactly. softer or your hair to make it shinier.
2: Exactly. Jen. I mean, that is like brilliant. for, for Yeah. So hair products are I learned designed from you, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. These are such good questions. I'm impressed. But yeah, so it's basically residue and, you know, people hear residue, they think, ew, but you know, when you use like a, uh, um, high grade moisturizer, that's residue. Like we put residue on our skin every day to make it look great, but it's just, what's the quality of that residue? So if hair products are getting on the skin, let's make sure that they're skin friendly. In my case, it was, you know, an issue with acne, but it turns out hair products, you know, can also contribute to eczema, to scalp itch, to scalp flaking, fragrance sensitivity, a whole variety of skin issues.
0: Were you able to find out like which ingredients were leaving that comedogenic residue and causing the issues?
2: It's a great question. So at what I did is I created a spreadsheet of every any data related to comedogenicity or irritation for ingredients and in personal care products. So I have a spreadsheet of over 400 ingredients. But interestingly, many ingredients have no data on comedogenicity. And then for many ingredients, the data we have is from rabbit ear studies, which don't always translate to humans. And to make it more interesting, it's not just a binary thing. Like this ingredient is good or bad. It can matter how much of it's in there, how it combines. Like you asked me about silicones. We can talk about that. I think silicones are not bad actors on their own. I think it's just sometimes they combine. It's like, you know, they're not making friends with the right people, you know, and then they contribute to clogged pores. So we, you know, it took four years to launch our initial products. And I put the initial formulations directly on my face. My unfortunately, my twin sister was, you know, I I I got her to put it on on her face. And obviously, we run our products through third-party comedogenicity testing. Um, mm-hmm. So I say we have a good sense for what causes clogged pores, but you really never know until you test the finished product because combinations and thresholds really matter.
0: So, so it's not like the kind of thing where you could, uh, someone in the store could turn over a product and be like, "Oh, there's that thing Dr. Rubin said not to look for." You had to build your formulas from the ground up and, and keep testing them to make sure as you added ingredients, they weren't causing the issues.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say like, you know, if, if you are getting acne though, from hair care products, like take a look, make sure a coconut oil is highly comedogenic. So is cocoa butter. You know um, there's some common things that are irritants like um, preservatives, methylchloroisothiazolinone or you know, methyl isothiazolanone. I can't believe I could actually say those. Those are common irritants. Uh, so there are some things to look for. Um, yeah. But but it's there's a lot of sneaky ingredients. There's things like Lorith-4. And so it's not as simple as just turning it over, but that doesn't mean you can't turn it over and see some things and say, hey, that, you know, that could be a problem that for me. That might be causing
0: an issue. But okay, let's talk about one of these, like, really, people love to talk about silicone because it just, seems simple enough to understand for people? because like, oh, it's a lubricant and slippery, you know? And you said it's not a, always a bad actor on its own, but you didn't include it in your hair care line. Why did you decide not to include it? So, I, yeah, I I think there's really
2: mixed opinion about whether silicones clog pores. I think they're actually a great ingredient for the skin. Um, but um, I, I do think silicones have the potential because they are occlusive. So they form this barrier on the skin um, to trap other ingredients and and then lead to clogged pores and comedogenic products. Do I know that for sure? No, but we we didn't want to take the the risk and and um you know just candidly, there's also enough bad press on silicones that when you're launching a product, I we also are aware of um, yeah you know the, the perception. But it was it was partly for per- perception. But I'd say I also because I think it is possible that silicones do trap other ingredients. Um, But we've never done the study to, you know, to to know that for sure.
0: I appreciate your transparency because I feel like a lot of brands say, no, silicones, silicones are bad because they don't think that consumers are intelligent enough or sophisticated enough to understand that it's not a binary thing. It's like, it depends on some cases. So they just do this blanket statement and then people never are able to identify the thing that's causing them the issue. So I appreciate you explaining why you didn't. Yeah,
2: explain. and I think that's so true. Like like there's like these villains, like these ingredients that are considered like, you know, terrible. and And I think it's often more nuanced than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the fear-mongering marketing, we've talked about that on our show, Jess and I, like just the no-no lists without any reasoning behind them doesn't really do a service. But, you know, I've talked to other hair care brands and people that formulate hair care about silicone. And there is another perception, and this is not like correlate. Well, it's correlated, but we don't know if there's causation. I want to see get your take on it. That like, could silicone cause hair thinning? Because silicone didn't start to be used in hair products until like the 90s, right? And then a lot of people point to historical data on hair thinning in women in the 90s. But like, listen, lots of other things have happened since the 90s, right? So do you, what do you think about that? Like, because it seems, it makes sense to people like, oh, it'll plug up my pore of my hair and then my hair will get thinner.
2: Yeah, I... So I think it's such a great question and hair thinning is so personal. My own mom actually has thinning hair right now. My sister just bought her like a, um, you know, she's been having extensions and just got her this like, you know, topper, Um, you know, she's considering like hair transplant. I mean, it's really significant. So it's, and it's, you know, that's another skin condition that really affects you, you know, emotionally and um, you know, anything that can contribute. And, and interestingly, there's certain types of scarring, there's so there's scarring and non-scarring hair loss, but there's something called there's a type of scarring hair loss that has been associated with different potentially ingredients, even some sunscreens. I'm not telling people not to use sunscreens. So we, you know, there are there is some data to suggest that ingredients can contribute potentially to And when you types say scarring, that
0: means that like it causes this inflammation over time that makes the hair follicle sort of like close up a little bit.
2: Yeah, like basically like okay. the follicle dies. And once a follicle is fully oh. scarred, it won't regrow. I know it's super sad. <laughs> it's super sad. But so this story about silicones that you ask is a great. One. There's no direct evidence I know of that silicones can cause hair loss. However, if silicones can clog pores, you know, the follicles on the scalp are literally the manufacturing plant for the hair. So actually at scene we are looking into what does clogging pores on the scalp do to hair health? Intuitively, it seems like a really bad idea. If that's the manufacturing plant, if you clog it, you know, that just doesn't seem it's going to create an optimal environment for hair health. Right. So if silicones are contributing to, to, to clog pores or trapping certain ingredients in the pores, which, you know, have been associated with hair loss on their own, you know, that's, that's a question.
0: Okay. So we're like trying to head off bad issues. We're not saying yet that this is the reason that, you know,
2: yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say silicones cause hair loss. Well, do
0: some clock- people would, so I'm glad. you're.
2: Not- yeah, I wouldn't, I uh, know I wouldn't, you know, and, but do, do, I do think silicones can build up on the hair. A lot of them are not biodegradable. Like there's other yeah. reasons, not like, like, there's other reasons not to use silicones, but are silicones in some of my skincare products? Yes. But again, if they are contributing to clogged pores on the scalp, you know, that's an outstanding question if if that can yeah, cause yeah. hair loss.
0: You also didn't include fragrance. And I know you're a dermatologist, so that made a lot of sense to me, but like... Fragrance also gets a really bad rap these days. Why are? Why did you decide to go to make fragrance free versions of your hair care? I actually know the one that I use is not fragrance free because it smells delicious. From- I don't use a fragrance
2: free either. So okay. I just think it's
0: again, it's like about choice. Like nothing, you know. I
2: I love what you said. How like 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 there's this fear mongering and like ingredients are either good or they're bad. But it's just not like that. It's like you know a lot of it is choice. And so I think there's. The reason that we went with fragrance-free versions, and so many people told us not to launch fragrance-free, like there wouldn't be a big market. It is flying off the shelves. I mean, people, if you don't want to use fragrance, it's really hard to find luxury hair care
0: And hair care for sure. Yeah, yeah it's really hard.
2: Yeah. yeah, but the reasons th- that someone wouldn't want to use fragrance is, one, they could be allergic to it, um, a contact dermatitis. And I looked up some statistics, and I, I'll share those with you. And a second is migraines, interestingly, you know, Fragrance is, is a common trigger for migraine. And then the third is, you know, people who want a really clean product. Fragrance are composed of tens or hundreds of ingredients. And even, you know, it seen we use it at a low level, which complies with many clean standards. But some people don't believe in any synthetic fragrance. People also ask us, why don't you use a natural fragrance? Well, just because something's natural doesn't mean it's skin-friendly. I mean, poison ivy is 100% natural. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of essential oils... In and botanicals can contribute to, you know, clogged pores and irritation. So that's why we don't do a natural fragrance.
0: Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. What are those? So, what are those stats about fragrance? Is that that it causes migraines or other issues? You asked me, and I was doing my homework.
2: How big of an issue is fragrance for most people? So, you know, in in some recent studies, it was up to four and a half percent of adults may have an actual skin allergy to fragrance, but. 34.7% of U.S. adults report fragrance sensitivity to fragrance consumer products. So it's not just about the skin. Like some people might get watery eyes or nose congestion, or they may get a migraine, you know. So fragrance, you know, can it can be a pretty big issue for people.
0: Yeah, of course. And let's talk about, so that like kind of leads us into some of these other because fragrance is in everything, right? So like just the stats you gave us there shows us that like maybe our laundry detergent, maybe our like Glade plug-in, like all candles, all these other things that you don't think about could be causing some sort of issue for you. But let's talk about um, some other personal care products that might cause unwanted skin issues. Like obviously you personally found that hair care was doing something. Are there any other personal care products that could have side effects? Like, you know, like nail polish or something.
2: Yeah. Um, One thing I want to say before, just one other comment is uh, just be careful if someone, if you see unscented, sometimes there's masking fragrance. So it's just worth like noting that. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing, like I'm in my 40s and I color my hair and I'm like, you you know, there's a study now that came out, you know, on the NIH website that it said it found women who regularly use permanent hair dye in the year prior to enrolling in the study and there was like 46,000 people in this study. Wow. And I believe it was a retrospective study. They were 9% more likely than women who didn't use hair dye to develop breast cancer. So, you know, that's something I think about because I color my hair regularly. But you're a doctor.
0: Do you ever think like, well, that could just be a correlation like they were doing something else that year that they were doing hair dye? Like Absolutely.
2: Wear- and, and that's such a great point because this is not a randomized controlled study. Absolutely. Oh, wait, it's not randomized and controlled? No, this is not randomized controlled. I know, I, because it was 46,000 women. I, I doubt that it was. So, to your point, It's not definitive, but it's, you know, it raises the question.
0: But that's the kind of study then other researchers look at it and be like, here's something that we maybe should look into and do a randomized controlled study on to see if there's causation, right? Is that how that typically works with research? Yes, although I don't know if anyone like would do the randomized controlled study. Right, of course, because if there's not a, yeah, money or medical issues, drug that could be made from it, I get it, yeah. Yeah. I just get worried because I remember there was a study, about deodorant and a correlation with, um, you know, when they remove breast cancer tumors, they found some of the particles from the antiperspirants, like the aluminum in the tumors. And, you know, the media ran with that. and And I'm not saying it's not true, but like everybody just hears in their head, oh, deodorant causes cancer. When they yeah. hear something like that, you know, a hundred
2: percent, and and I still color my hair, so you know, but just <laughs> you know, just like things, things. You know, so, I, but I think basically any product has the potential. Like I, you know, I've also, I'm testing. We're developing a face lotion for scene, and I started using it, and I realized that I this like. I used to have this tingly, irritated feeling on my cheek for like, you know, every winter for the last couple of years and it it went away. And then all of a sudden I realized, wow, like my daily moisturizer, I think was causing like a low-grade irritation. Oh, you would
0: think it was the weather, but it was like, no, you were using more moisturizer. So it was probably the moisturizer.
2: I think it's both because, you know, in the wintertime, It is drier. And so, you know, we call it winter itch. everyone's more susceptible to any kind of eczema. So I think it was the combination of that's just when my skin's the most vulnerable. Um, So, you know, personally, that's what I've seen. But definitely there's, you know, a whole... And again, not to scare people, but pretty much any product can cause
1: a side effect,
2: a, a potential s- skin issue. I think, you know, when you're talking about acne, you know, just making sure that your sunscreen is non-comedogenic, I think is really important. And sunscreens have come a long way with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've definitely broken out from sunscreens before, you know, just making sure everything you're, your, you know, your your all cleansers and, and lotions and makeup, like just that everything's non-comedogenic. I think that's really important and you know i will say even if something's labeled as non comedogenic it's still not a perfect test so just pay attention to how your skin's reacting like i like to you know what, if i if i have a skin issue just kind of make one change at a time and give it a week and see you know yeah. okay what was that what was contributing yeah and then the same thing for for eczema i think you know really any personal care product can can contribute to eczema
0: and well so there's personal care products too that don't really get tested for comedogenicity however you say that uh because you're not supposed to rub them all on your face i'm thinking of like toothpaste like obviously you're not going to apply toothpaste to your face but if you've yeah. ever you have kids have you ever watched a kid brush their teeth like it's like a foam beard at the end right right like
2: right. That they're
0: covered in toothpaste so like that can cause issues right is that right? Yeah.
2: Well, so like perioral dermatitis, and it's funny, I didn't think about it, when, but you know, I've actually, I think I've had um, perioral dermatitis from toothpaste, but to, so perioral dermatitis is like a acne or eczema looking type rash that's often around the mouth. It can be around the eyes and the nose as well. We don't know for sure what causes it, but certain products have been associated, including possibly fluorinated toothpaste. So, you know, that's yeah. something like to to consider, but yeah, to your, that's a really good point. Like toothpaste hasn't been, you know, designed to be non-comedogenic. Well, right,
0: and you look at like a lot of a lot of adult women get um, you know, that type of hormonal acne on their chin and yeah. I I know perioral dermatitis, like if you're not a derm, you might just think, "Oh, I've got chin acne. It must be like hormone chin acne." It could be, you know, just it's like you have to be a detective or go to a derm to find out what it really is causing it.
2: Yeah, and and it could even be sneaky even for dermatologists, you know, perioral dermatitis. Um, so but that's is that one point.
0: of the ones that like if you use <laughs> My friend's a derm and I was using like, I had some steroid, you know, when you get something from the derm, you're like, oh yeah, they gave me this cream and you just save it in your medicine cabinet. And then months later, some bump pops up and you're like, I've got that cream from a derm. So I think I had a steroid cream for something. Yeah. And then I started like applying it to what I thought was the same thing. And my friend's like, you literally are making it worse. Like, yes. putting, is it perioral dermatitis that started? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. That's, so that's what happened yeah. to me. And I was like, applying and applying the steroid, like steroids, they fix everything. And meanwhile, I'm making a bigger and worse case of perioral dermatitis, not realizing, like, <laughs> duh, I'm not a doctor. Like, yeah. Clearly, the, the advice here is like talk yeah. to your doctor. Right? It
2: was a reasonable thing. I think steroids are like the number one to you know to try first. But in the case of paronychia it can definitely
0: make it worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I learned my lesson that way. Um, yeah. What are some? What about like cleaning and household products? Do you ever see reactions, or have you ever read about reactions from those?
2: Absolutely, I think the most common thing is like hand eczema, hand dermatitis. You know, from from cleaning products. You know, they're just full of surfactants and cleansing agents that you know can be really harsh on the skin. So you know, do you that's wear probably, gloves when you clean? I I don't, but you know, I I but yeah, I hate wearing gloves. But I'll I'll try and get the mildest you know, soaps and like art, my house is full. Like every, every bathroom has whole foods, you know, fragrance free, like foaming hand cleanser. And I actually used to take hand cleanser with me to my office because the, you know, I can, I can never oh, use that like, pink those... soap. It's like yeah. Or, uh, yeah. And it What's smells terrible. What's up with hospitals
0: in that pink soap? Why do they all have that horrible pink soap? I, I,
2: I don't know if it's a cost issue. Like, you know, I know that so- those soaps are called... It, considered antimicrobial but honestly i don't know if they're really better than just you know plain old soap and water for you know um a practice that's not in a hospital yeah but yeah so so cl- cleaning agents definitely like contact dermatitis but you know if you're having bad hand eczema definitely wearing gloves can be a good idea um i just yeah i don't
0: are, so what are there any others i know this is where i like i gave you some homework that like any other surprising things that can cause you know, beauty issues, I'll call them. or And of course, medical issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the laundry detergent one is is interesting. Like we talked about it briefly, but the whole idea that even laundry detergent could potentially leave a residue on clothes causing contact dermatitis, eczema. And some people have even wondered about like, you know, residue contributing to acne.
0: Yeah, and so you're talking about laundry detergent like when you're washing your clothes. What about like fabric softeners?
2: Yeah, I think fabric softeners, you know, same same issue. Like, well, I was thinking... you know even if you don't use fabric softener there's there's no data to confirm this, but but people have questioned whether just laundry detergent leaves a residue. So like if I had washed the shirt in the laundry detergent, and I didn't even touch laundry detergent, if it's sitting on my skin, does it have a residue that could then, you know, cause eczema or like leave some sulfates behind that could contribute to clogged pores? Like that's been raised as a question.
0: Oh, yeah. Some of them are marketed as like, oh, it's got stain protectors in it. And you're like, okay, cool. If I wash my clothes with that and it has some stain protectors, like obviously that was some sort of residue that's left on there that helps stains not set in right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's more of a question whether laundry detergent contribute to acne. I do think laundry detergents can contribute to eczema. What else in terms of, in terms of other like things I did my research on. So I have the craziest hair naturally. It's very, very frizzy and, and just not attractive naturally. So hair straighteners are a big point of conversation, like with between me and my twin sister, like, you know, is it safe to get Is she your
0: identical twin? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, you know. This is, is great. It, you,
0: she could be your guinea pig. Yeah. Like, you go ahead and try that. And let me see how it looks on you. Although she's she's
2: 11 minutes older. So she's still like, you know, she's still the big sister. So I don't know if she'll, um she, she'll, she'll try things sometimes.
0: So what was the hair straightening iron discussion with her?
2: Well, the discussion is like, you know, keratin treatments. Like, is it safe? Because, you know, a formaldehyde.
1: And oh, then, like an
0: insulin smoothing treatment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah like the formaldehyde based ones. Like that's one that I think about a lot. And then also, so that same NIH study, breast cancer study, did show that women who used hair straighteners at least every five to eight weeks were about thirty percent more likely to develop breast cancer.
0: And this is the insulin treatments, not like a hot tool. We're talking about like the form, the ones that. Right now, aren't supposed to have formaldehyde, but I know when they heat up, certain ingredients can cause like off-gassing of like formaldehydes and stuff.
1: You know,
2: that's a really good point. I don't know in this study, it was a 46,000 women, like if it was all in salon treatments or, you know, which, but uh, to your point, you know. Throwing yeah, because then up there's is, like
0: the lye-based relaxers.
2: yeah. Yeah, so, I no, I don't. I don't know if they sorted out. Um, yeah, yeah, Which ones it, it is, but yeah, I mean, I always think about that. I actually myself just got a non formaldehyde um, smoothing treatment, which I was very happy with. But I do. I my take on it is, I would pers- I personally try and avoid the formaldehyde based ones. Um, just for yeah, the and I think for the
0: the health of the salon worker as well, I would want that because that's you know maybe one dose of it for you every 3 months is not so bad but that person every day day in and day out i think about their health too you know for sure for sure so that's something to look into the hair straighteners anything else
2: um you know i once had like a, a friend ask me about like allergy to lipstick and you know i mean any anything can give you um a reaction but in her case her lips would get red and swollen with certain lipsticks and i think it was actually certain dyes that were you know causing that so
0: Yes, and remember those lip plumpers from I don't know they were there's still some that have this, but I remember uh, it was capsicum that capsicum. oh was it really was it yeah capsicum? That's what, like so there was a very popular <laughs> lip plumper that yeah. had that in it, which like as a dermatologist your eyes just lit up, went like yeah what? oh my god because that's like like hot chili peppers like it's that's literally crazy. like chili pepper extracts yeah like, can you imagine telling a patient here use this this beauty product that has chili pepper extract in it you know.
2: You know, that's really funny. Yes and no, though, because I, I, you know, I did do a laser and cosmetic fellowship. So I just, you know, I've, I've injected lips with fillers and I, you know, I I know like p- people really desire that. So it seems crazy to me, but then again, people inject fillers in their lips. So you right. Know. But
0: that's, you're getting a plumped <laughs> look, but you're not getting inflammation and irritation. So I, I remember once using one of these like I looked, like I was all red all around. You get a hot stinging sensation. I mean, you're rubbing chili pepper on your lips that is, basically. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think fillers are definitely a better way to go than um, red, hot, inflamed lips.
0: Yeah, there's another ingredient that, um, like menthol I know is in a lot of things that say they're like cooling or even some medicated stuff, you know, has menthol in it, like a vapo rub and things. Yeah. What did derms say about menthol? Like, have you ever seen issues with that?
2: I haven't seen issues with menthol. I know it was in this um, common anti-itch uh, lotion that that people often like, so I think it actually can be therapeutic. But I, I can't say a and, lot about it. And
0: them. this goes back to what you were saying about like the dosing. Like you, obviously, if you're like even with silicones or anything, like maybe in a small dose it's good, but then the minute you go over a certain number, it's starting to cause irritation or whatever.
2: Yeah, I think potentially, yeah. And and obviously, you know, different people react to different things. So I'm sure there are some people that are sensitive to menthol. But um, I think for many people, it's tolerated fine.
0: Yeah. So before we let you go, you mentioned that you're developing a face cream. So I'm curious, just because like you're a hairline, what, was there like a personal, I'm ready for a story about your sister of like, well, my sister needed a, a face cream, which really <laughs> means you needed a face cream.
2: Well, actually, like, so we do, we, yes, I... I haven't been able to find, like, for me, when I when I design a product, it's got to be non-comedogenic, non-irritating, and clean, and then just have, like, really amazing function. And yeah. so I think that there's room for great skincare that meets those criteria as well. But the story behind Seen Skin, which I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be talking about, but I'm already telling you about it, is, so we did a study, an acne study with Seen. And we gave people, 27 people, is a dermatologist-graded study, Seen to use for eight weeks. And the results were pretty astounding. 70% of people with body acne had their acne improved just by changing their hair products to scene and 52% with face acne had improvement. And so we just have so many people who have their skin improve either with acne or, or, and, and then they say, Well, what else should I be using?
0: Totally. Um, yeah. So like that's you figured that's- out the key for that and not, you know, why not move on to skincare? So, what are some of your other, you, I know you get your hair smooth. I'm just curious about your personal favorite. Well, I products. actually
2: first, I first did it for the first time. Well, clearly you're
0: happy with it. So, I'm
2: happy because, you know, like I created scene, like I actually am not, believe it or not, like a big, um, you know, I don't like to do my hair. And so for me, you know, especially as a working mom of three, like now I can do it in five minutes or less. Like that's a beautiful thing. Like, yeah. you know, and, and seen is also, it's like a two in one, it's like great hair care and, and good for the skin. It's like, you know, for, it's just highly, uh, it just does more for you. And so I love that.
0: What about your sunscreen? I've never met a derm who doesn't have like a bunch of favorite sunscreen.
2: Yeah, I do have a favorite sunscreen. I just love the SkinCeuticals. They have their physical sunscreen, the SPF 50. They have the one that comes tinted um, or or the white one. I love it.
0: Yeah. And any any other makeup favorites, like a mascara, any of your color, favorite color products?
2: You know, it's funny. I, I do love mascara, but I love, um, there's a eyeshadow um, called Sintelins by Chanel. I just love it. It's just got like a sparkle to it. Is that a single it's like yeah, it's like a little tub, like and you just um, it, it's kind of like I don't know what you call it. It's not like a totally dry eyeshadow. It's a little. Oh yes. Yeah. So I it's love like that a cream
0: pot. Cream. It's a cream pot. Cream. Yes. Exactly.
2: Yes. Yeah. And then I love in terms of other skin products, um, Skinceutical CE Ferulic I think really works. It just like brightens and a good mascara for sure. I still use Lancome Definicils. I've tried so many. I love Hourglass too.
0: Oh yeah. No, that's yeah. a classic. Yeah, I know. It just works for
2: my my lashes. What's your favorite mascara given given this recording? Oh, lately you must it's
0: been <laughs> the Thrive Cosmetics, it's a tubing mascara. Everything smears on me. So the tubing mascaras create like a little like polymer wrap around your lashes instead of like just like a standard ink kind of mascara. Ooh. Okay. But they freak people out when they wash their face sometimes because it looks like, oh my God, is my lash falling out? But it's just like the little tubes coming off, you know?
2: Yeah, it's like when you uh, ever gotten lashes put on and then you wash your face and, and the lashes come off, you're
0: like, are they? Yes, but, yeah. but this is just like the little uh, formula that looks like lashes. But yeah, that's a really good yeah. one. Yeah, I'm just always curious because people that work in the aesthetics world, obviously, have done their homework with beauty products. Yeah. So before we let you go, we do this Fat Mascara 5 at the end of every interview. So I'm, you are going to be subjected to it. What was the first beauty or grooming product you remember falling in love with?
2: It's really not very sexy, but I remember just discovering benzoyl peroxide. So I'm the kid of immigrants, and when I had acne, I was not taken to the dermatologist. Sorry, mom, dad, you're the best parents, but wish you took me to the dermatologist for acne. And I just remember discovering benzoyl peroxide and being like, "Wow, like this could really change my skin." So that that really was my first like beauty discovery.
0: Do you remember? Was it like the Clearasil or like
2: it was like Oxy or Clearasil? And I would. Leave a white oh, layer,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. A white that.
2: layer, like all over. Like I, I would like do like a mask with it, like at night.
0: Oh my God, it's all you I can do to, to. Your skin now. It would probably be like so dry.
2: Yeah, it would be very drying. It would.
0: So, if there's one rule you wish everybody would follow, what would it be? You
2: know, I think I, I'm going to give two, but definitely like be kind. <laughs> be kind, but I also think just like be yourself. Like be, you know, like. I think just be radically unabashedly yourself. Like I think you know that's what I try and teach my kids. Like don't conform. You know. Like I think that's just the best way to live.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite snack?
2: I love peanut butter pretzels, gluten free ones.
0: Like peanut butter filled, like the little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Who makes gluten free peanut butter filled pretzels? This brand called Quinn. Q U I N
0: N. Super good. I was like, "There's no way she doesn't have a specific brand." But no. Like the- but not not a low calorie food. Just a warning. <laughs> Of course. It's a yeah. snack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's a, What's the um, most played song on your like phone or your playlist right now?
2: Yeah. So my seven-year-old son and I love Ed Sheeran. So, oh. um, so it's Bad Habits. How old are your kids? Seven is what? I have seven, 12, and then almost 15.
0: Okay. Yeah. Bad Habits kids? is a good song. Huh? Do you have kids? I have a stepson. Ah, he lives in Germany, though, and so the listeners know that I'm trying to learn German. I mean, he speaks English, obviously, but um, I just yeah. had German class right before our uh, our interview, so I was like, got to get back in English mode. Anyway.
2: Amazing. I told my son that we had to go, something was in Germantown, and he, and he was like, oh, I, like, I'm learning German because our, our one of our nannies teaches him a little, like, no, Germantown's in Maryland because, you know, anyhow. Oh, there's a
0: German town like, every state. I grew up in oh, really? Philadelphia. There's a German town. yeah, yeah. Um oh, funny. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, no they do not speak German in German
1: town yeah I know it was so you cute
0: yeah that's adorable yeah. okay so let's pretend we're making a movie of your life and so there's the character going off to like Stanford and Harvard and then curing lasers to cure kids and then creating this brand that takes over the world who is going to narrate this movie So I would actually have my brother-in-law
2: so my brother-in-law is married to my twin sister I would have him narrate he he's my um, business wait are partner. you married? I'm So th- this is super interesting. I'm married, and my husband works with my twin sister, and my husband, twin sister's husband works with me. This didn't happen until, like, our 40s.
1: <laughs> okay. But
2: yeah, yeah. But anyhow, Greg is my business partner. He's, he's actually the CEO of Scene, and he just, like, gets me, and he's got this amazing radio voice, so I would have Greg narrate it.
0: Okay, so you're—but— you're, this I, the reason I asked is I was like, oh, what would your husband say about saying that your sister's husband? Now, do your do your sister's husband and your husband get along? They do. I mean, they're not like clones
2: of each other, they're like very, very different. Okay, they're not you know, gonna tell me
0: you married a set of twins. No, no, that they're totally,
2: totally different, okay. but they get along great.
0: And she works with your husband.
2: Yeah. My they they co-founded a venture capital fund, a science. Based venture capital funds. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. We have, oh, it's all
0: in the family.
2: It is. It is.
0: Yeah. And are they the Rubens also? Who are they?
2: No, actually, my twi- my maiden name is Kadar, and my sister still doesn't understand why I would take, you know, why I took someone else's name. But I actually took, I changed to Ruben because when I was in practice, I was, you know, everyone would always say, Dr. Kadar, where's your name from? And like, you're so busy. I was like, you know, Ruben's so much easier. No one's going to ask
0: me about, you know, <laughs> and I actually wanted to take the name Ruben. I love that it was for efficiency. Well, if I change my name, then I'll like knock out 30 seconds out of every point. I was working at
2: Mass General and it was crazy. There were so, literally, because people would always, it's it's kind of unfortunate actually that the medical system is like that. Um, It wasn't like that when I moved to Children's and, you know, became more specialized. But in general, dermatology, you know,
0: it's a fast pace. So you were going for efficiency, but also love. How about that? There you go. There you go. Um, This was great. Uh, I learned a lot. I have been using your products, the fragrance version, because they smell delicious. And I love that they're not like medically, you know? It feels like a nice shampoo and conditioner, even though it's good for you. So thanks for making them. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity.
2: It was great. Thank you so much.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com.
1: We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a a One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at fatmascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the
0: podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off.